Hannah Dunleavy's Outside the Box. Hi and welcome to April's, April's, yes, April's Outside the Box. I'm joined by, no surprise, Jen and Mickey. Hi. Hiya. And we're going to be talking about news and things and TV programmes and stuff. It was very expansive, wasn't it? Yeah. Should, should we start I like how with, concise you were yeah. with that list. Shall we start with some news? Yes, Really, the biggest, the biggest news, the biggest news of all is that we finally have a date for Lifetime TVs. Harry and Meghan, a royal romance. Shut up, really? Yep. I'm yep. excited. Get it will be airing guys. on Lifetime in America on May the 13th, which means it will be over here shortly after, my guess, Channel 5. <sighs> Fingers crossed. Yep. Straight to YouTube. Yeah. In other news, the BAFTA nominations are out. I can never get too excited about BAFTAs because I'm not entirely sure what the criteria are. I can never work out what dates are relevant because there are things that I think, well, it must be just things that were on TV in 2017. Mm. But then there are other things that weren't on TV in 2017. Hence, we end up with Catastrophe in the same category as Inside Number 9 when they were released almost a year apart. So I am a little bit befuddled. Talking of catastrophe and inside number nine, the most interesting race is at the Craft Baftas. When our In Conversation event comes out with Sally Wainwright, she was talking about the separation of the two, why writers are put at a different ceremony and why that shouldn't really be the case. At the Craft Awards, the Comedy Writing Award, there are four nominations. The first is for Peter Kay and Sean Gibson for... Car share, which I don't really have much to say about, so I'm going to skip over that immediately. The next three that are nominations in that award are Sharon Horgan and Rob Delaney for Catastrophe, Steve Pemberton and Rhys Shearsmith for Inside Number Nine, and Daisy May and Charlie Cooper for This Country. So that will probably be everyone. That will probably be the most tightly contested. I think that actually, probably Peter Kay will win it because that's how the BAFTAs tend to go. Yeah, that's the most interesting BAFTA category i think in other news uh the tv series heathers has finally premiered as in, in winona Ryder and christmas yep, later yeah it was delayed it was supposed to start in january it was delayed because of the parkland shooting understandably it has literally been savaged by reviewers in america which suggests to me that there is no date for a uk release date the chances are there might not be if that is the case, I'm sure there are ways and means to track it down if you want to. Similarly, Roseanne has premiered in America. It has had rave reviews, including some from Donald Trump himself. Hey. It's actually caused quite a palaver, not just because it's got really great reviews, but also because Roseanne herself is somewhat of a po- problematic character within America. Now this I've read an awful lot of pieces about Roseanne and her attitude towards certain things. She herself is an open Trump supporter. She has made Roseanne Connor a Trump supporter, which actually seems really logical to me. It's it's the same logic that made you go, of course Alan Partridge would vote Brexit, is of course that Roseanne would vote for Donald Trump. I've not read any rave reviews. I've read very problematic reviews of it. Is she really a Trump supporter? Yeah, Yeah. he he phoned her to congratulate her on the series, and she she was delighted. I'm really, really She's surprised all over to Twitter about it. I, I mean, really I'm surprised to hear that. I, well, I, look, I'm kind of not. The gist I was getting from the reviews I read, because obviously I haven't seen it, is that Jackie, her sister, is very much yeah. was a Hillary supporter. Yeah. And 
doesn't hold any punches either. So equal weight is given to both arguments from what I can gather. Jackie does turn up in a nasty women t-shirt and a pussy hat um, and says what's up deplorable to her sister the first time she sees her. Yeah, I think... And the reason Roseanne gives is they he mentioned jobs and I think that's why you got a lot of... Yeah, I mean, it? kind of a lot of the problem is she does reinforce this idea that it is working class white people almost exclusively that voted for Trump and that's not what the case was. No, not but, at all. Um, there is a new series of urban myths starting on Sky Arts. I don't know if you've seen any of them. Urban myths is brilliant. It takes exactly what you would think it would be, a selection of urban myths and dramatises them or comedizes them. Uh, the most famous one was the one that was pulled, which was uh, Joseph Fiennes playing Michael Jackson. Oh, yeah. They haven't actually announced all of them, but in this one, Anna Maxwell Martin is playing Agatha Christie during her disappearance and uh, Steve Pemberton is playing Bill Grundy while he interviews the Sex Pistols. So, yeah, that looks interesting. Margot Robbie, quick mention for her, someone who grows on me by the second. Her and the Australian Broadcasting Company have announced that they are going to produce a female-led Shakespeare-inspired series, which will be uh, coming next year, which sounds good. That does sound good. And finally, in things that are coming up, The Bridge. The fourth series, we have a date. Well, not a specific date for that, but a sort of date for that. It is May. All I know is that uh, she faces one of her most fearsome opponents yet, the concept of hot desking. Um, <laughs> I was going to say Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> which doesn't, doesn't go well. Um, and then lastly in the news, a couple of massive historical anniversaries in April. It's been 20 years since the Good Friday Agreement. It's been 50 years since the assassination of Martin Luther King. There is loads of good stuff on the iPlayer about both of those things if you're interested Patrick Kilty documentary My Dad The Peace Deal and Me which talks about the death of his father during the troubles such a euphemistic word isn't it that's on the iPlayer as is Funeral Murders which is about the incidences after the killing of the um, IRA targets in Gibraltar they are both on the iPlayer also Netflix has put up 66 Days which is a documentary about Bobby Sands and the legacy of the hunger strike you could also watch that if you're interested in Northern Ireland re-Martin Luther King there are three things on the iPlayer Martin Luther King the assassination tapes documentary Martin Luther King the march on Washington which I've actually seen is really good and also Ava DuVernay's Selma is there which is technically a film not television but you should be watching it. Also, there's going to be a big like documentary about Stephen Lawrence this week, which will be on the iPlayer by the time, because it's the anniversary of the Stephen Lawrence murder Is it? as well. Okay, yeah. thank you, Jen. There you go. I have a quick bridge question. With Series 4 about to drop, does that mean Series 3 will go on Netflix? Well, you'd hope, wouldn't you? I, I certainly hope. You haven't seen Series 3? No. Okay, so should we talk about some stuff that I've actually seen on the telly? No. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so Kunk on Britain has started. I was going to do a review of this and then I decided I didn't need to. Uh, Diane Morgan, of course, contains her standing at the CERN Abbott giant saying, Before Snapchat, hills were the most efficient way to distribute dick pics to a wide audience. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I love her. So, yeah, it doesn't need a review. It just needs that. The Generation Game has returned. Mel and really? Sue. With Mel and Sue, yeah, oh. and has caused some controversy because, of course, some people are complaining that it is shit. And I would argue that the Generation Game was always shit, which is why <laughs> people watched it in the first place. It did lead to an excellent tweet from Jim Davidson. I used the term excellent. Did it? Yeah. Someone said, who's presenting the, the Generation Game now? And Jim Davidson said, two women. <laughs> it's no different than the Generation Game 
Always was, if Does you they, ask me. Do they still do that cuddly toy? Yeah. Okay, moving on. Come Home was on, which was... B- actually, BBC's got loads of dramas out at the minute. Come Home, which was Christopher Eccleston and Paula Malcolmson about a woman who had walked out on her children. It's uh, made in Northern Ireland. It's on the iPlayer. It was all right. It wasn't really my bag. I do love Christopher Eccleston, but that was maybe just maybe just not the right thing for me. Also, Ordeal by Innocence, Agatha Christie, adaptation... Oh, the BBC love Agatha Christie. <coughs> uh, yes, with Anna Chancellor, Bill Nye, Morven Christie, who are all brilliant. The, the thing that's interesting about this is, uh, so, well, there's a couple of things that are interesting about this, but the, probably the most noteworthy thing about it is this was supposed to be the centrepiece of the BBC's Christmas television programming. Then Ed Westwick, who was in yes. it, yeah. was accused of a number of things, including some rape allegations. And the BBC decided to sit on it. Uh, he protests his innocence, which I feel like I must point out. And then they decided to reshoot it with a different actor in that role. I think that's the first example of that actually happening on television. Um, Netflix have cancelled a few things, but I don't think they've ever gone as far as reshooting anything. BBC won't talk about how much that cost. So, Ordeal by Innocence, it's a horrible name. It sounds like something that a gentleman would film in the off-season of 30 Rock. (laughs) But it's actually good. It's quite enjoyable. If you like that sort of thing, people have been kicking off because it has had the ending rewritten, possibly so that people don't manage to spoiler it for themselves, as Jen has done by Googling something about it, only to discover they were actually the murderer. kind of want to bring it into common parlance. What did you do at the weekend? Oh, you know, Ordeal by Innocence. Yep. A couple of points. Don't Google Brother Moose own people if you've just started watching series three of the wire just don't do it i do have a review slash recommendations of things you should watch um i have one drama one comedy one documentary so you guys get to pick what what we do first comedy comedy okay so sorry it's all right i was quick Okay, so, well, you'll be pleased with that because the comedy that I want to talk about is In the Long Run. Oh, my goodness. is on Sky. And you will be able to watch on other things that you get Sky, I don't know, Now TV, stuff like that. Uh, In the Long Run, Jen's reaction, just in case you're wondering, is because it is Idris Elba's written and um, starring in... Creator. Yes, a 1980s set sitcom about his childhood in South London. I had some serious reservations before I sat down to watch it. Firstly, because uh, it is set in the 1980s. And I think that anything set in the 1980s has a tendency to sentimentalise the 1980s to a degree that it becomes unwatchable. And secondly, because Idris Elba is a lot of things. I think we can all agree he's a good actor. We can all agree that he looks fantastic. I think we can all agree that he's got many, many talents. So up until now, I would say that comedy hasn't been one of them. Um, in fact, if anything, I would describe him as being slightly try-hard in when I've seen him be interviewed on things and come across as someone who really wanted to be funny. So I had some reservations. I have to say, this is really, really fucking charming in the long run. It's, it is. Look at Jen's face. It is lovely. I've seen some corking reviews of it. In it the Guardian genuinely stuff. is. It's, it's, it's funny. It's not hilarious, but Warm. very things rarely are hilarious in their first series or their first season. Yeah, it's very, very warm. I think it manages to not sentimentalise the 80s because what it's talking about is the experience of 
immigrants and of the children of immigrants. And yet, while doing that, it manages to be accessible to people who aren't immigrants or the children of immigrants. So some really universal experiences like sitting outside a pub waiting for your parents to come out or sitting in the backseat of a car while your parents have a big row while your dad is trying to teach your mum to drive. All of which have been experiences I've had. So I have to say, I found it actually really accessible, really funny, really enjoyable. He is really funny. He does he does comedy well. It's written well and it's not overplayed in any way at all. I am so surprised to hear that. Genuinely very surprised. It's got a terrible name. In the long run, sounds like they're training for a marathon. Key something. question, though, with run in the title, are there shots of him running with his hands in his pockets? There are no shots of him <laughs> running with his hands in his pockets, <laughs> which is somewhat disappointing. Somewhat disappointing. He plays the dad in yeah. it. The, the person who's playing young... Idris Elba, I mean, it's not young yeah. Idris Elba, but you know but what I mean, is. is the little boy who played Damalona Taylor in is it? that drama. Yeah, he's really charming. Um, yeah, and the dad is constantly taking his belt off and going, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, and then never actually hitting him, but constantly threatening him, which actually is surprisingly funny. Um, you wouldn't think that threatening <laughs> to threat smash your children about. It's also set up on this premise that he's writing home to his mum hmm. in Sierra Leone. And what he is telling her about what's going on and what's actually going on, the conflict between those two things is actually quite funny as well. So, yeah, well done, Idris Elba. A drama. Okay, so we're going to talk about The City and The City. David Morrissey plays a cop who is... Invest- David Morrissey play anything else? He is investigating the murder of a woman and this links in in some way to the disappearance of his wife so far... So fucking what, right? I was going to say, so this is Luther, yeah? Except in this, the setting is absolutely everything. It's based on a novel by China Mieville, who is a British writer who self-describes what he writes as weird fiction. Uh, He wrote this for his, he wrote the book City in the City for his mum, who was terminally ill at the time. She was a big fan of detective fiction and he wanted to write something that fitted in so although it's hung on a detective story, in fact, the background to it, it's part dystopia, it's part sci-fi, part Cold War thriller, part satirical commentary on what's going on nowadays. The basic premise is it's set in a city in which two cities occupy the same space. One of them is called Basel, one is called Alcoma. They are a bit like, probably the easiest way to um, to suggest is it's a bit like East and West Berlin except the the line that defines them it isn't a wall how they separate the cities is that basically the, pe- the, the, the people in both cities are trained to just not notice the other city exists when in Olcoma see Olcoma and it is really really interesting I think it's really good I think that premise is clever um, David Morrissey is always good in things I don't think it was really about the investigation of a murder it's about a the premise of what happens when a city is divided into um um yeah it's really good i've seen some grumbling that it's not as good as the book having not read the book i wouldn't know i would say if you haven't read the book definitely give it a try if you have read the book you know maybe don't but um or maybe do but just don't moan to me so weird fiction is a recognized genre it's not something this guy's come up with mr james edgar Allan poe yep. they wrote weird fiction yeah is it that sort of level of dystopia I mean, it's definitely dystopia, but it does appear to be uh, that... Uh, see, it's difficult because I would say that the, in the, the setup between these two cities is is dystopian, but actually there does appear to be an outside world that is not dystopian. So there's hope. 
I wouldn't necessarily describe it as hope because I think at the same point it's kind of a commentary on American foreign, foreign policy in a number of parts. It's to, it's pretty dense. Okay, sounds but, good. I yeah, it's four parts. I have I've watched three so far. They are all up on the iPlayer where you can watch them week by week on television if you want. But yeah, it's definitely worth watching. The city and the city. So finally, documentary. Where do you think we're going for a documentary? America. Netflix, of course. Oh. <laughs> of course. And it is America. Uh, Netflix released uh, start of March. Wild, wild country. Oh, it keeps popping up. Should I watch it? You should watch it. It's an eight-part documentary series about the creation of a controversial community in Oregon in the 1980s dedicated to the follower of Indian guru Bhagwan Raj Nish and the chaos that erupted when thousands of followers descended on a very small town in Oregon and started to build a new community there. Jack Donahue's incredible advice that you should never go with a hippie to a second location. <laughs> um, I don't think it's ever been more fitting. It is pretty even-handed in where it decides the blame falls in this, I would say. I actually watched some of it with a friend of mine who was a little bit horrified by the way that the townspeople had reacted, at which point I said, yeah, but look how recently Jonestown was to those people. At which point the documentary said, of course, they were all reacting like this because of Jonestown. But it is so, I would say, uncritical of anyone involved in it that actually I did have a, a disagreement with someone about what was going on in it and who was to blame for what went very badly wrong, essentially, with this community. Which is interesting, I think, because I think Netflix documentaries tend to take a side and this one definitely hasn't. It is really fascinating example. For me, I would watch it just to see very many things people tell themselves to justify what they've done. I think it's really interesting from that point of view. It talks to a number of the people who lived in the town. It talks to a number of the people who were involved in the cult. Well, they wouldn't like it to be called a cult. But there you go. I'm going to do it. Including Sheila, who is a character who was very high up and basically... Probably one of the only recorded examples of a woman running a cult. So that is relatively interesting from that point of view as well. But I don't really want to hear much more else about it because this story is nuts. Genuinely nuts. You more nuts than Wormwood? Uh, as nuts as, oh, as, right. as Wormwood in that, yeah, like I say, you get a lot of wide open space. People start to act really fucking weird. Lastly, we were going to talk about repeat viewings, which kind of ran out of time, but I did actually ask people to tell me what things they had. Because I'm a, I'm a firm believer that if something's not worth watching twice, it's probably not worth, worth watching once in the first place. And if it's me and Sopranos, if something's worth watching once, it's worth watching seven times. Exactly. So I did ask people what the things that they had watched more than anything. Jen, what have you watched over and over and over again? Weirdly, I'm not really someone who goes back to TV series that really? much. Yeah, because I get like really obsessed with songs and films and stuff and I can watch those things. Hmm? Buffy? Uh, yeah, no, I have watched Buffy. The two things that I've probably watched more than anything else are from my youth, in fact. Uh, probably My So-Called Life and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. They're probably the things I've watched the most and obviously Friends just out of like duress basically because that's all that was on tv when i was at university i asked people because i think what i put out was um the second series of blackadder which i actually watched i recorded off tv and i actually watched so much that the tape just stretched and broke and warped also seen arrested development a lot of times uh deadwood 
a lot of times. And I ask people to come back to me uh, with things. Um, a lot of them are, yeah, spaced. I saw a lot of Blackadder, 30 Rock. I saw a lot of Red Dwarf. I think it's easier to sit and watch sitcoms, largely, and rewatch them because it's they're quicker, aren't they? I mean, you can just... Alan Partridge through. as well. I've oh, Alan Partridge, lot, I think yeah. I've watched, I would say, probably 50 times. I'm Alan Partridge. Yeah. yeah that I've watched that a lot. Yeah. yeah. But in dramas, I saw Buffy. Buffy came up quite a lot. And uh, The West Wing, Sex in the City came up a worrying oh, yeah. an amount. Yeah. That as well. Star yeah. Trek, Next Generation, a lot of people mentioned <laughs> to me. A lot of what I would call traditionally, like, geeky stuff, like Red Dwarf, Star Wars, Doctor Who... So a lot of things like I that. I had all of Red Dwarf taped off the yeah. telly and mm-hmm. did a similar thing to your Blackadder, Blackadder 4 and Spaced. I've watched shit yeah. loads. I think repeat viewing actually has left a genre. Um, Do you think that is because television has got more filmic? And obviously if people have a favourite film, you'll watch it and watch mm-hmm. it again. And mm-hmm. so many series now are shot with the same consideration and values as cinema. Well, I think as well, it's because... It's it's easier. It's more available. Things like Netflix mean that you can just decide that you're going to come in and you're going to watch an episode of Community and then, oh, okay, it turns out I watched seven episodes of Community in a run, you know, when you come in from the pub. That didn't used to exist. So I think, for a start, streaming has made repeat viewing much simpler. But also, golden age of television idea that people actually buy and own a box set. And a box set is quite a sort of something they're quite proud of. Get this, I have got series one to four of the sopranos on vhs yeah and i've got the whole shebang on divider but i think as well a lot of television has changed from what is called a procedural which is like one thing that happens self-contained within an episode that uses the same characters so you know something like tv uh, cop shows are the sort of the prime example of this into things with arcs and it makes watching it more why are you laughing? I'm laughing because when you said TV cop shows, the first thing that sprang to my mind was TJ Hooker, and I don't know why. Characters have arcs, so you have situations whereby, uh, it's difficult because I wouldn't know what to talk about spoilers, but situations where you watch television programmes in which a character dies unexpectedly. The first time you watch it is brilliant because you weren't expecting it. The second time you watch it, you are expecting it. And you realise they've been laying, if they've done their job properly, they've been laying little clues to how it comes along. Or you see them fall into the trap. And actually, sometimes it can be more impactful to watch it a second time than it is to watch it the first time. So I think that the way television's written is has changed from that point of view. Comforting as well. I think they become friends, like favorite songs or favorite films i think favorite tv series i feel like um the sopranos is a thing i've watched the most as a proper that would be classified as a drama and david chase's writing and direction and obviously there's lots of other writers on the show is so intricate and clever i always see something new and i kind of like just hanging out with them yeah but the thing about um about netflix and on demand and you know streaming and whatever is does that kind of ruin repeat viewing a bit in a way? Because on one hand, it's there, you can do it easily. But like on the other hand, if you had a box set that you'd invested in and it was like a thing and it was like a comfortable thing. Whereas now, there's so much choice. Like there's so much stuff immediately available to you. Like who the fuck's got time to watch things again? Well, oh, you see, I would. Yeah. I would. And also I have to say, I conducted an experiment and I did 
watch two things that I had only seen once before. Again. What did you watch? First thing that I watched was Godless, which was the Netflix series, oh. which was out in November, and I was initially very disappointed by because it had sold itself as something, and when I watched it, it wasn't really that. Now, I'm nodding along because I felt the same, so I'm very intrigued to know what you made of it the second time Okay, around. that's sometimes the problem. When something doesn't meet your expectations, you judge it on something, and actually, perhaps... That's not the thing to be judging on it. You judge it something on what it is rather than what it's not. And what I was judging on was what it's not. Oh, which again, I thought was incredible. I thought it was way, way better the second time. I, up until that point, I'd been relatively unsold on Jack O'Connell as an actor. And I had been relatively unsold on the idea of horse whispering as something I'd like to watch on a TV drama. And yet, together, I could watch that shit for hours. And I actually did watch it for hours. I think Merritt Weaver is absolutely fantastic. I think it does a really good job of, although there isn't enough of that stuff, I think it does a really good job of showing what happens when women live outside of social conventions in that society. I think it's really interesting what it says about widowhood and the idea. I think we were talking about this with Jill Sutherland way back when we were at Newnham College. The idea that widowhood, if you were wealthy widowhood was actually freedom that came to you if you had money if you were poor you were fucked but mm. if it came with money it was actually could be the some of the most liberating stuff that had happened to you and the stuff with Merritt Weaver and with uh, Christiane Sadell in that stuff is fantastic and actually also um, Michelle, Dockery. Michelle Dockery's character um, yes it's Steven Soderbergh it looks terrific yeah it's really really good what else did you watch? the other thing I watched was the first series of True Detective oh. which I had only seen once and did you still love it to bits? I did. I was expecting to think with a bit of time and distance, actually, that it might not be so good. How were the McConnellogs? Ah, the McConnellogs are awesome. Was um, the ending still shit? You see, that's the thing about the ending. I don't get, I genuinely don't get what people's problem with the ending is. Why are they friends all of a sudden? I just, they oh, weren't it's mates. Just, I don't know. For me, it, it really jumped the shark. At the end, I was just like, I don't "But know, why?" This is stupid. It was a bit like it. It went from feeling like something that could genuinely happen and was quite scary to being just fucking silly. That's how it felt to me. I didn't mind all the Yellow King stuff. Is it the Yellow King? Yeah. See, I, 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 I didn't mind that at all. I but genuinely it was more that they think ended you, up friends, and I'm like, they weren't mates. I genuinely think if you were watching it to work, if you the, the, you thought that the point of the series yeah. was who the Yellow King was, you weren't you weren't watching it right. Exactly. It's kind but, of how I feel about it. But their relationship no, takes a very weird turn at the end, as in they're just like, we care about each other now, we're friends, and yeah, they went through shit together. But I was just like, oh really? You've you've had them at loggerhead so well for I think they were seven episodes yeah I, th- I think what what was really clear in this in when I watched it the second time because McConaughey's doing what he's doing and because like he has the eye-catching role and he's all about the philosophy I mean it's very rare that someone like me sees their own particular like nihilistic worldview quite so openly displayed on television so I have to say I'm all in support of that but actually, it's interesting that Woody Harrelson has an ideology in it too. And you don't notice that so much in the first one because I think you're distracted. I think that he actually isn't quite the buffeted by fate character that you kind of perceive him to be in the first one. I think actually he's a lot more in control of his actions of what he does. He doesn't ever take responsibility for his actions, 
but I think he is actually a lot more in control of them than you think. So yeah, I would watch that again and again and again. Do you know what? In honour of Jen not liking the end of that, perhaps will make my question of the month for next month what people were really disappointed in the ending of. So if people want to tweet me with that, Jen's obviously gone for True Detective. I was really disappointed by the end of Boardwalk Empire. Really. Like, I was angry for a while. I've started watching two series Mm. recently and would like to recommend them both. One of them is a Hannah recommendation, the other one isn't. The Dunleavy recommendation was The Americans and it is great. I am enjoying it. And the other one that I started watching was Hannibal with Mads Mikkelsen. Oh, Hannibal is stupid. I like it. I oh, am enjoying it's all, it. It's, it's all ridiculous. Oh yeah, but it's totally like that one where telly. the guy where the guy like builds a totem pole out of bodies, and it turns out he's a puny, weak <laughs> man. How the fuck did he get all those bodies up into a totem that pole? Sounds like the end of True Detective. It's crazy, but it is. It's it's absolute batshit ridiculous. But I really like it. And Mads Mikkelsen, I could just watch those cheekbones, which I'm sure are going to be used as some sort of weapon at some point. They're sharp enough. Mm. Just be insanely sane and sanely insane um, I'm having a lovely time I think the colours are pretty it's well shot it's pretty Lawrence Fishburne is pretty great the women don't get to do much except die on that Bob show yeah we'll end it so yeah thanks for having us Good night. <laughs> 